I'm Ardra Shepard, and this is Tripping On Air, a place to talk shit about what it's like to have MS. Normally, I like to make everything about me, but MS also affects the people we love. So weighing in from the partner perspective is Alex Hajar, my friend whose wife also has MS. Join us monthly as we dish about everything from symptoms to stigma. If you have MS or you love someone who does, we want to connect with you. Alex, I am super excited about today's guest. Darcy is someone I've known since grade seven. We reconnected in our 20s when we were both diagnosed with MS. She was 20, I was 23. Her MS has always been two steps ahead of mine. So when people ask me who my MS role models are, it's really been Darcy for me. She, uh, She's just sort of been the one to show me what's coming and knowing that Darcy can handle it is really the reassurance that I've needed to know that I can handle it too. That's so cool. Obviously, Darcy, it's great to meet you. Um, is it fair to say it's nice to meet the Canarian Ardra's coal mine? <laughs> I feel like that's a really gross amount of pressure to put on Darcy. Like, <laughs> please just keep going, Darcy, so that I know I can handle it too. Yeah, uh, But really, the reason why I wanted to have Darcy on the show today is because she is a rom-com waiting to be made. This girl married her high school sweetheart at 25. Her marriage lasted 10 years before she will be the one to tell you that MS was a major factor in that. But she never stopped looking for her Prince Charming. And Darcy is here today to talk to us about the good, the bad, and the ugly of dating with progressive MS, how freaking hard it is, but also how ultimately rewarding it can be. Darcy, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. It is so great to be here. Are you ready to dish in public about your love life? You bet I am. I went through it, so I'm going to dish it. We we want all the dirty <laughs> details, too, because we are far removed from the dating yes, world. Yes, you own that story. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like, dating was totally different back in the day. When, when I mean, you dated your high school sweetheart and then married him. You re-entered the dating world when you were 35, a totally new dating environment when you know, online dating didn't exist before then. And now you're going out into this big, bad, scary dating world. And you've also got uh, progressive MS. Mm -hmm. What was that like? My gosh, it was scary. It was absolutely scary. Looking back, though, I think I was pretty fearless about it. I just did it. So, re, I mean, re-entering the dating or even saying that scares the crap out of me because, like Arthur said, it's a totally different landscape. I mean, I got together with my partner before any, you know, apps really took off or smartphones took off. So that is super scary. But entering, re-entering the dating world with progressive MS and you're, I guess you're already using a wheelchair at the time. I so was. Can you talk about sharing your diagnosis? Do you do that on a dating profile? Yeah. So I had two approaches, really. I think when I was at the very beginning, I was reluctant to share the details. I think I was thinking, who would date me for real? Like, I, I don't think I hid it, but I don't think my pictures were clear. Um, of course, I didn't show up at the date like, ah, 
yeah, look at me, surprise, I have a wheelchair. I let them know before. But as the dates went on, relationships happened, I had a second approach. And it actually turned out to be the best one. I was open, I was transparent. And I figured, you know, if I'm going to find my person, my person's going to be okay with everything and is going to be okay with dating someone in a wheelchair. Which, yeah, that's great. But Darcy, isn't it true that there are some weirdos and like even fetishists out there? Like how did you weed out (laughs) the creepers by like putting yourself out there in this totally vulnerable state? You know what? And it is completely vulnerable. Fortunately, I didn't have like a crazy experience with fetishists, but I mean, I had my fair share of weirdos, like anybody would, right? Anybody would able-bodied in the online world. Um, But when those flags went up and the weirdo sensor came in, I just, I just, I was out because I figured, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. What is a big red flag for you for what raises the weirdo flag? A big red flag? Oh my God. When they use the word cripple. Um, when they're obviously uncomfortable. I didn't know people still use that word, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, that happened. That happened. Mm. Um, when so, you just can sense, when you can sense that they're uncomfortable, like rolling up to the dinner table at the restaurant, you can sense they're extremely uncomfortable. It's kind of a red flag and yeah. You just kind of, you kind of know just naturally. I mean, it's got to be. The weirdos are obvious. It's got to be hard because if you don't know somebody with a disability or a wheelchair user, I mean, there is this, a bit of a learning curve and maybe a bit of nervousness. And I, I can imagine that, you know, it's fair to sort of expect that there's a bit of a, of a learning curve. But I mean, I guess we're talking about weeding out creepers that you that you would have to weed out again regardless of disability that's something you would have a sense for I would imagine yeah yeah I think it's just a sense you can sense how they're coping with it and if they're gonna get better if their learning curve is gonna actually improve a couple dates you know you know if it's gonna be too much for them can you even like before we get to the dates, can you talk a little bit about the process of um okay, so we talked a little bit first about when you wouldn't disclose. No, I don't even want to use the word disclose because it's not like a secret you have to hide, but when you would share your diagnosis or your health status, were there times in that online dating exchange where that didn't go well before you even got to that first date? Oh yeah. I can remember one clearly and it was so early on. I can barely remember it. I I shared it and I think the words were, that's a deal breaker. And I don't think I was prepared for it. I don't think I had, um, and I, I thought anybody would ever say that to me. So that threw me back for a couple months. I was scared. Um, but they have every right to say that. Of course they do. If if they can't deal with it, then it was okay that he said that, right? I think that is a really interesting point, that not everyone can roll with MS, and that's okay. We all have our own 
deal breakers. Does it does it kind of get um I don't know, maybe it's a weird question, but does it get easier to like get over that sort of confrontation? Of course it does because you know, if they can't handle it, frankly I have enough to deal with in my life every day. I don't have the energy to convince them that I'm worth it. So they don't stay in my life if they feel that way. Which is awesome. But like, what do you tell yourself, Darcy, to not let those kind of, those kind of interactions get to you? You know, I tell myself just that, that I don't need to convince anybody of my worth. And for the people that are so supportive in my life, they're the people to focus on. You just know you're a, like a general badass. And I love that about you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super cool as well. But I kind of want to ask, what advice do you have for partners who want to support someone with MS or anyone contemplating dating someone with MS? Maybe they've met somebody and they are just, they don't know what to do, but they, they want to keep dating. Well, my advice is if, if, that's what they want. They need to be really good at communication. And if they're not good at it, get good at it because it's extremely important. MS is a monster and you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And the communication is the most important thing. Just knowing somebody's listening makes the suffering copable. It's I, the loneliness, just being able to communicate. So I think this is something Alex and I have talked about in the past is it's a learning curve for both people involved, right? The person with MS and the partner. And uh, yeah, just because we are, you know, the ones with MS, like things are still changing all the time. And we're also kind of figuring out as we go. And I think that team approach of thinking this relationship has MS instead of this person has MS and it's their problem. Would you agree, Darcy, that that's the best approach? Well, I think that it's also patience. So the person with MS needs to be patient knowing that your partner is also trying to understand. And again, as long as you're communicating openly, you can get through it together rather than guessing how the person's feeling, you know, it, it's difficult on both ends. It's going to always be difficult. Yeah, no, I think instead of thinking of it as, you know, this half of the relationship has MS and it's their problem, it's more like, you know, this relationship has MS and we approach it as a team. So I feel like with my partner, you know, he can handle X, Y, Z and I'll take care of the brain damage, you know? This is where Bobby, my partner, would, would jump in and say, absolutely. We are a team and you have to be a team or else you're not going to get through the hurdles together. Yeah, I love that approach. And it's like, how do you, uh, I don't know, how do you, yeah, I don't know how we communicate that that's, that's the way to go and that it's worth it. It's every relationship has a series of challenges and, and MS in this case is, is one of them, but you're worth it. I'm worth it. Nicole, Alex's partner is worth it. Absolutely. If you're not a team, it's not going to work. You know, he often says to me, you know, I'll say something about my MS and he'll say, we, we are dealing with this. And um, unless you're a we, 
I don't think I don't think it can work. Okay, I haven't met Bobby yet, but I'm also falling in love with him. I love that. Yeah, yeah he's, I feel he's... like he knows more than I do. We use code words for something. Like we use code words. That's one of our thing for communication. So like, you know, one thing is where it takes a while for Nicole to, you know, generate the language that she's trying to get out. And so she'll just say, uh, you know, I'm loading, I'm loading or something like or processing, you know. And so it I may not that. be obvious to other people on the outside. But yeah, right. It's quite good. It works. I'm going to use that, Alex. I am. Our, cool. our secret code is more is like a P scale, right? Like if we're in the we're in the car and I needed the bathroom. We have that too. You know, if it's like a three, that's like keep an eye out for the Absolutely. next T-ho. Oh if it's a seven, like, uh, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, he knows. It's great. <laughs> Sorry, I have one more question. I'm just going to butt in with this question and then, I'll, and then I, the floor is open. But uh, I kind of wanted to know, because we're talking about, you know, dating and getting back into the game, if, if you can call it that, but what is the sort of, biggest misconception people have about dating somebody with multiple sclerosis? For me, there's a few. I think um, in terms of dating, I think there's a huge misconception with females. I think that a lot of people assumed I wasn't a sexual being. Somehow my body was different just because I'm in a wheelchair. I think that was one thing. It's funny because after so many dates, I I wanted to start it with, hi, nice to meet you. Everything works. But it didn't really go well that way. Um, I think another misconception is that... I mean, that's such a weird thing, Durs. It, it is, but I, it's true. Um, a lot of them really kind of skated around questions regarding anything sexual. I don't know what they thought. I don't know if they thought... Because I'm in a wheelchair? Because this is what I'm thinking. It's like they they want to date you, but they also don't think you can have sex. Yeah. Right? Is that fair? It's kind of fair. It's almost like that's where the weirdos kind of were. Checking off something on their list like, oh, I'm going to have sex with someone in a wheelchair. I would get those feelings sometimes. Yeah. I've heard that's a thing. Yep. The other misconception that I get frustrated with is that questions are going to offend me. Somehow anything they ask, they would skate around it. I would rather be asked the questions. If you're curious about something, ask me rather than come up with something in your mind that's false. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I. Okay. But can you give us an example? Just that, just like the sex example, right? Um, when we would finally get to talking about it, they would say things like, oh, I, I didn't think it, it would work. And then it's so are you like, are you it like, why are you here? Are you in this because you want a platonic friendship or right? I get it. If they wonder if I can have sensation in my limbs, that's a fair question. Just ask it and I'll give you an answer. So your advice is like, I, I just don't know why some people fear. I mean, I think we've probably been conditioned to be delicate, right? And maybe not be offensive, but you're saying just like, say what you mean, be clear. Say what you mean. Ask what you're wondering. Somehow that offends me by thinking it's gonna offend me. 
I don't know. I just like it to be laid out. I, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, right? Yeah, don't make like, assumptions. It seems like one of those things we talked about before where if someone wants to know how uh, the person with MS is doing, they'll ask the partner, how are they doing? Just ask them. Just ask them. Just ask them if everything works. Just ask them if you're good to go. Just ask them straight up like you would any other partner. So, uh, but I, it's true. I think we we are sort of conditioned or it's inherent to dance around the idea where it's like, maybe it's a North American thing. I feel like if you, you know, it, when I was in Germany, it was kind of like people just ask you really direct questions and it's not offensive. It's culturally normal to just be super direct. Um but yeah, here it's kind of like you just, yeah, you do this dance and it's well, really awkward. Well, I need awkward. to go to Germany. Yeah, maybe that's No, you don't because you found Bobby. Yeah. You found Bobby. You're I totally true. agree. I, on the other hand, I feel like we are super comfortable about asking weird, like weird questions about, you know, your job. What do you do? How much money do you make? That kind of stuff never feels off limits. But yeah. Yeah. So just don't be weird. That's your advice. Yeah, don't be weird. Darcy... Okay, I, I want to get into, like, you have found your happily ever after, but you had to kiss some frogs to get there. Can you tell us about a time when someone couldn't roll with MS? I can. And this one still, when I think about, I was dating a guy, and I think we were three or four months into the relationship. So you'd think he would have already known my limitations. Um, we were at a restaurant. We were having dinner. I think we might have had a few too many drinks. Uh, I went into the washroom, and unfortunately, I had a fall. So um, my phone was close enough, and I was able to text him. And he was able to get the help I needed. And I got out of the bathroom. And when I was faced with him, I got a tongue lashing. He said... I have too much in my life to deal with this. And I have an autistic child. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I guess he didn't assume he didn't think this might happen. This didn't, he didn't think it was a possibility, but uh, the ride home was uncomfortable and the relationship didn't last. Thank you for sharing that yeah. story, Darcy. I can't imagine. I think that's such a vulnerable place to be in, first of all, physically on the floor of a public washroom and to need that kind of help and to be made to feel like it's just so, so shitty. And I am so grateful to you for sharing this story because that could be the end for a lot of people who could say, this is too much, I'm too much, but it wasn't for you. You kept going and you somehow still had this faith that you could find somebody out there who, who was worth it. And I just, I want to talk to you about staying in relationships that are perhaps toxic or not healthy, or maybe staying in them too long and the importance of feeling like you don't have to settle. You have a progressive illness, a disability. Can you talk to us about how, like, how you know, how you knew that you didn't have to settle for someone? You know, I, I actually don't know how to put it into words. It was almost just an inner knowing that this, it wasn't the end, that 
he was out there and uh it 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 was a not don't let anything get you down don't there's a pot there's a lid for every pot i think and i think that you know it's not to say that it's not hard right sorry i'm getting off sorry ardra no you're not at all i think it's I think of dating, I haven't dated in a long time, but I think of it like interviewing for a job. You, you know, you have to put yourself out there. You have to do a lot of screening. It's a lot of work there. You know, it's really, it's maybe the most, one of the most important searches. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to find the person you want to be with, you have to do the work. It's not fun. It never was fun. In fact, looking back on it makes me want to puke. Statistically is harder work for people with chronic illnesses. We know that divorce rates are higher if you have multiple sclerosis. We know that instances of partner violence are also higher uh, for people with disabilities like MS. And so what is your advice to people who, like you, want to find their happily ever after What's your, what's your advice? For those that are wanting to find it, you have to not be afraid. You have to know that you will find it. You might not know the path it's, it's going to take, and you might not know the steps, but you have to have the faith and you have to put the work in and you're going to date people that it doesn't work out with. If you want to really, really find that person, you can't give up. I want to talk also, Darcy, because I know you and I've known this path. You kissed a lot of frogs. You kissed one really bad frog and then you took a break. Can you talk about that period and and what how meaningful that was and how that led you into, into this happily ever after relationship that you find yourself in now? Yeah, I was with a particularly, let's call it... Um, bad frog and I warty frog <laughs> yeah 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 and it, it was a bad situation and I don't know how I got there but I got there and uh, luckily I was able to get out of that relationship but what that did was it it put me on pause I think I was on pause for almost a year and I needed that pause and I think sometimes that's the important part of dating is that if you got to a point where you are, you become cynical, and you're you, you're hopeless. You need to go back to finding yourself, and you need to be good with being okay by yourself for a while, because eventually, you'll be okay. And then when you re-enter into the dating world, you're at a place where you are stronger internally, and you will have a better chance of finding the person you're looking for rather than settling for that frog that I settled for. I, I think being able to be on your own is so important and it feels, it sounds like that was a very empowering experience for you. It, it was so empowering for me. And I think, I think that's why I was ready when Bobby was ready. We were both ready. And the other thing is, is you were not looking for a partner to look after you or a partner to fix you. Not at all. Just because you have, exactly, right? You 
have MS, you have disability, you need help with certain things, but you were able to resource those things on your own. You're not looking for a partner to fix you or heal you or any of those things. And I, I think in any relationship, that's so key is, is knowing yourself and, and, and all, yeah, does that make sense? Am I blabbering on? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was actually what one of the things that drew Bobby to me was he was so amazed by how I got around on a daily basis and I had sourced out the help that I needed to take care of me, you know, personally. And while he's a huge help to me, I think he was amazed by that empowerment too. I think that's sexy. And I feel even in my own relationship, my partner helps me so much, but I need him to know and I need myself to know that I'm in this relationship because I want to be and not because I have to be. Yeah, and in, I think independence independence is attract is an attractive quality, right? Like, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You already have an, like a lot of stuff going on, and it is it is. I think yeah, for people who are not really well versed in in chronic illness and and living with a disability, it, it's surprising, but it's also very impressive. So it, it is a, a good you know, I can see how he could be drawn in that way. Um, because independence is, is sexy, as you said. So I just want to clarify that independence does not mean that you don't need help. Independence some, sometimes means asking for help and knowing where to find the help and having the grace to accept that help and, and not letting yourself feel like a burden because we do need help. And I think sometimes we we hold independence as this high standard. And it's not possible for all of us to have that. But I think it's more about like just having your shit together and, you know, not feeling like you, you didn't need someone to complete you. You were looking for a partner. Absolutely. And I think that's when I finally accepted the fact that being a good delegator is pretty cool too. You know, making sure I've got the care I need for the entire day is pretty cool. I love that. You are the CEO of your household, of your body. Yep. It helps majorly. It helps. Darcy, this, I can talk to you for hours and I do talk to you for hours. Is there anything else you want listeners to know who are looking for their happily ever after, who are struggling maybe in a relationship that doesn't work or just anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Yeah. I want to say that if I were to look back nine years ago, when I left my marriage and think about where I was at that time, there's no way I could imagine that I would be where I am right now. But you have to believe, you have to believe that it's, it's, it's possible because it's absolutely possible. There's so many people out there, especially in this crazy online dating world. And in order to get there, you have to take that step, even not knowing where it's going to lead you because it's going to lead you to a wonderful place. That's all there is to say. Put yourself out there. You're worth it. There's a lid for your pot. And I hope, I hope you find that lid just the way Darcy did. Darcy, thank you so much for being here. I think this is such an important story. It's a very important story and I was so happy to share it and I hope it helps at least one person out there. Uh, It absolutely will. Go for it. Thank you.
Wow. Um, that was great, Alex. What did you, what did you think of Darcy? Yeah. Well, Darcy's super cool. Like these are great stories and like the, it's always nice, you know, to hear new stories and it's good getting the word out there. I mean, you don't hear too many stories in the mainstream about uh, this sort of stuff and dating, like I said, dating nowadays is a nightmare. I mean, I'm just assuming things I haven't dated in a long, long time, but uh, I look at these apps and then see what my friends are doing. And I'm like, it's so confusing. And also at the same time, I don't even know how you meet anyone like not online, right? Like, especially in Darcy's situation, you, you know, like what if you were trying to meet somebody 20 years ago, what, what would you do? You know, I like newspaper <laughs> ads or I know I don't YouTuber. even remember. Yeah. There used to be a time where talking to strangers was like, okay, I think. All I know well, is that's I'm great. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're so happy. I hope I get to meet Bobby soon. He sounds awesome. You really, really will. Thanks for listening to Tripping On Air. Don't forget to visit us at trippingonair.com. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.